I did not want to rush through 1 John um, just because we are short on time. So I will challenge you today as I will challenge you next week in your own time after we finish this class, not during this class, but on your own time, take time to read through 2 John and 3 John. They will take you about six minutes to read them both. Um, and you will see a lot of the same applications that we've talked about there, like 2 John has a big section in walking in truth and love, which is a lot of what we've talked about. Um, 3 John has... Uh, quite a bit of information in it. I, I think one of the favorite verses out of 3 John is verse 11, where it says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Um, but I think Second and 3 John, you can study on your own. They're short books. Take time to read through those. I'm sorry that we did not have time to get through them in this class. Um, but I did not want to just rush through 1 John because I think 1 John has got so much that is important to us as Christians today. Um, <clears throat> this week we'll be talking 1 John 4, 13, verse 13 through 5. Um, next week we will finish chapter, I, I mean, I'm sorry, 1 John 4, 13 through chapter 5, verse 5. And then next week we will finish up chapter 5. As just a, a review, if you remember last week we closed, um, as class ended, we were talking about godly love. We discussed that love is from God, that it finds its origin in Him, that it comes from Him, it emits from Him. And we discussed that anyone who loves God as a requirement of that, must also have love for their brother. Um, we talked about that love is so important to the Christian faith that it's seen as the marker of those who have been born of God. Um, and John stated that those who do not demonstrate love do not know God. So we learned four kind of important things through our study last week that God's love for man exists that God's love for man was made manifest through Christ. It was revealed in the gift of His Son. And the purpose of that gift was that we might live through Him. Um, we read this passage, and I'll read it again, but Titus 3, 4 through 5 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And He did that out of goodness and loving kindness and mercy. And John tells us that in the view of that fact that, that God loved us to the extent that He sent His only Son to die for our sins, and because of that we are commanded to love one another. Um, and we concluded that... Um, on the condition that we love one another, two things occur. God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. So this week we are going to jump in and we're going to begin with verse 13 and just take that verse alone and then we'll move forward. So verse 13 says, 
by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So when we're born again, we receive the Holy Spirit, the life of God within. It's clear cut that that happens when we are baptized at our conversion. Acts 2, 38 and 39 leaves no doubt about it. It says, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Paul taught in Romans 8, 9 that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Spirit is given. It's given to us as a token by which we may know that he abides in us and that we abide in him. But how does the presence of the Spirit in us supply evidence of such an abiding presence? So we know we receive the Spirit at our conversion, but how does it supply evidence of its presence? How does it supply evidence of such an abiding um, presence in our life and love? And the first answer to that is because it produces fruits the first fruit of which is love. So Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the first way we know that the Spirit abides in us at our conversion to Christ because of the love of Christ is because it's going to produce spirits in our life. If we truly have been converted, if we have truly put on Christ in the watery grave of baptism, the Spirit abides in us, and the revelation of that Spirit in our lives comes through the fruits of the Spirit. The first that's mentioned is love. But how else do we know that the Spirit dwells in our hearts? Because we love God and because we love one another. Um, Verse 13 says that we know that we abide in Him and Him in us because of the Spirit He's given us. And we've read already that we know that we are of God if we love God and if we love our brothers, that the love of God abides with us. So if someone claims to be a Christian, but he has no time for fellowship with others, he's critical of the church, he fails to show or they fail to show the fruit of the Spirit, then we have to question whether that person is abiding in God and God in him. Because if we receive the Spirit, we should see the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are those characteristics we read and love for one another and love for God. Where the Spirit of God is at work, it sweetens bitterness, it melts hardness, it multiplies love. So we all have to take I guess, inventory of our lives, and we have to ask ourselves, are we producing the fruits of the Spirit? Are we showing love, patience, kindness, goodness, tenderness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these things in our own lives? Are we abiding in the love of God? Is the love of God abiding in us? Are we demonstrating that by our love for one another? And if we're not, we've got to question, are we truly abiding in God? Um, And that's an important thing for us to know 
Because what John is doing here is he's starting to give us an idea of how we can draw confidence before judgment, confidence before the throne of God, how we can know that we are of God. And one of those ways is the Spirit abiding in us and the Spirit demonstrating its presence and its fruits and in love. So he goes on in verse 14 and 15 and he says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So John and the other apostles had beheld, they'd seen with their own eyes, with wonder, the Lord in the flesh. They were firsthand witnesses to Christ. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They saw Him do miracles. They heard His teaching in person. They spent time with Him. They laughed. They wept. They prayed. They worshiped. And John says in John, 1 John 1, 1 through 3, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's 1 John 1, 1 through 3. So John, because of their witness, the other apostles, because of their witness, they were qualified to bear testimony to the fact that the Father had sent His only Son into the world. And so what we see is that John was not just teaching the witness of the Holy Spirit, but he also tied it and linked it to the witness of the apostles. John, in, in, in the Gospel, John 15, 26 through 27, we read, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And this is Christ talking, talking about the Holy Spirit will bear witness to him. But then he says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He's talking to his apostles when he says this. We can be assured in our faith because of their testimony. The fact that we have not seen Jesus is overcome by the fact that the apostles did. They saw the eternal word made flesh in the person of Jesus. They offered testimony of his existence, his character, his love, his mission, etc., and Peter in 1 Peter 1.16 said, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitness of His majesty. So the word of one eyewitness can be questioned. If you're in a court trial and there's one eyewitness, you can create reasonable doubt. If there's two eyewitnesses, you have a little better chance of that testimony being considered true. But through the writings of the New Testament, through the, the witness of the apostles, through all of them who have given us letters and books and writing, we have multiple witnesses that were firsthand witnesses of Christ that testify that Christ is who He said that He is and that He has come from God and He was made manifest to man and that is a very important thing. So John then emphasizes the outward confession of the Christian's inward convictions. Through faith in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, 
we can be in fellowship with God and His Son, and our relationship with God depends on our relationship with Christ. Our access through the Father to the Father is through Christ, through Christ's love, through Christ's blood, through Christ's sacrifice, through Christ working as our advocate before God in heaven right now, we have access to the Father. And so we have to believe not just God's word, but the witness of the apostles that Christ was who he said he was, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, the Messiah. And John did not intend to teach that one who merely gave lip service to the deity of Jesus abides in God. So a lot of people take this passage out of context out of context, and they say, well, we've seen and testify to the Father, and they, they read verse 15, and they say, well, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. A lot of people take that verse just by itself and say, well, I confess that Christ is the Son of God, so I abide in God and God in me. While confession of Christ and knowledge and admitting that Christ is who he says he is, is very, very important. John is not intending to teach here that one who just merely gives lip service to the deity of Jesus abides in God. We know that the demons confessed who Jesus was, and I'm pretty certain they didn't abide in God. But what he's saying is he's implying that in the confession of Christ is the complete surrender of our will to the will of the Lord and a willingness to obey His commands. So belief is not just a knowledge of of saying Christ is who He says He is, but it's an active faith. It's a faith that acknowledges that Christ is the Son of God, and therefore we better obey what He teaches, that we better follow what He says, that we should live in step with His Word, with His commands. Jesus said, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My Word, and My Father will love him, He will come to him and make our home with him. That's John 14, 23. The key part is that that word if. If anyone loves me, here's the thing that they should do. They'll keep my word. And that doesn't just mean one word or two words or three words. It means that they keep the teachings of Christ close to their heart, that they live those things out in their life. And the confession that Jesus was the Son of God... Was at this time, you've got to remember John is teaching against the Gnostics who are saying that Christ was not the Son of God, that Christ was not God. So the confession at this time, at the writing of this letter, that Jesus was the Son of God was actually a repudiation of the heretical positions that were held by different sects of the Gnostics who denied His Deity, who denied that he was God in human form. They denied his reality. So to confess at this time that Christ was the Son of God was a big thing. So God abides in us as we allow his teaching to fill us and to motivate our lives. We abide in him as we practice the precepts of the gospel and find fellowship with him and his children in life. So then he jumps into verses 16 through 19, and they say, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, 
is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. Based on the confession that Christ is God's Son, and that Christ is God made manifest to us, and that we are saved through Him, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. It's witnessed to us by His Spirit. It's witnessed to us by the apostles. We have the full revealed Word of God. It's witnessed to us by the Spirit through the Word of God. As we grow in our Christian walk, we begin to have a deeper understanding of this love that God has for us, and we begin to emulate this love towards our brothers and sisters. And John repeats the phrase, God is love, for emphasis to remind the audience that God is not just a loving God, that God has the characteristic of love. But he, he says it in this way to remind them that God is by definition love, that you cannot define love outside of God, that love is defined through God. And um, he then reminds us that if we abide in love, that we abide in God. Because God is love, we share the love of God because God loved us. The more that we grow to be like Jesus, the more God's love is perfected in our lives. And if we abide in love, abiding in God, His love is perfected in us. And remember what John said in verse 12, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. He says that in verse 12 of chapter 4. By sharing the love of God with one another, we make God's love, or love is made complete, God's love is made complete within us. And if we have the love of God and we share it with one another, then we may face the day of judgment with confidence or assurance because in loving God and our brethren, we may be sure that we will not be condemned by the judge on the last day. And that's a, that's a thing of confidence for us. As Christians, we should not fear God's judgment. We should welcome it. Welcome it in the fact that that means our time on earth, our time living in the world that is full of sin... Our time of hardship is coming to a close. And yet a lot of us still fear judgment. Um, I think it's our nature to fear. I think Satan introduced fear into the world. That's why I think Adam and Eve in the garden started hiding when they knew they had messed up. Is because with shame comes fear. And with fear comes this, this uncomfortable feeling of just being lost. Well, John's writing us here, and he says, by this is love perfected with us. And, and, and that love is perfected in us, that God is love, that whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Through that statement, by that love, the fact that God abides in us if we abide in him, John says in verse 17 that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. And 
sometimes we're really hard on ourselves because we sin, we mess up, and we fall short of the glory of God. In fact, we do it regularly. But as Christians, we have, because of the love of God, because of the love of Christ, we have the washing, the renewal of our lives through the blood of Christ that gives us hope, that gives us confidence before the judge. And that's a good place to be. And, and, and so we shouldn't necessarily live constantly in this fear of judgment. And I don't mean a respectful fear. So the Psalms talk a lot about fearing God. Um, the fear of God that it talks about that, even in Ecclesiastes, it says, um, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man. That's not a fear that is terror. That is a respectful fear, a reverent fear. And we should have that. What we shouldn't have is this just inner sense of horror about the judgment of God. Because by having the love of God, we resemble Christ as he is the embodiment of his perfect love. The more we increase in love and perfect it, the less we have to fear the judgment. You know, you think about the, the image of judgment that's, that's taught in Matthew 25 where he separates the sheep from the goats. And, and in his examples of the righteous, it was all acts of love. It was all acts of service for one another. As Christians, God has already blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. The confidence we have by abiding in God in love excludes fear. And again, the fear talked about here is not the type of godly fear that the psalmist declares the beginning of wisdom or that an obedient child has for a loving father. No, that, that is a fear uh, that is a reverent fear. But the fear he's talking about here is, is fear in reference to terror, dread, panic, the type of fear that a slave would have of a cruel master. The fear that is present in those who do not abide in God. It's the dread of punishment which comes to the disobedient. If we are truly walking with God in the light, in truth and in love, we should not have a fear of the judgment, for we have been set free of the judgment through Christ. 2 verse 2 of this book says He is the propitiation for our sins. Um, he suffered judgment for us on our behalf at the cross. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then John 8, 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our love for God, God's love for us, our ability to mirror and spread the love of God should give us assurance at judgment because it is an indication that God abides in us and we in Him. And if one has the fear of judgment, it is evidence of imperfect love. It indicates that there's not necessarily a maturing of that Christian character which um, would have purged itself of such fear. And we're all at different levels in our Christianity. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are immature in our faith. Some of us are very mature in our faith. And some of us are in between. And as we mature in our understanding of who Christ is and what Christ is and the love that God showed us through Christ, then we continue to grow in confidence before the throne of God, 
Because God is love. If we are love, he abides in us and we abide in him. And if we abide in him and he abides in us, then there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God wants us to live in an atmosphere of love and confidence, not fear and torment. We need not fear life or death, for we are perfected in the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8:35, 37 through 39. John tells us why we love because he loved us. First, he loved us before we loved him. Our love for him is evoked by his love for us. He loved us first and sent his son because of love. And because of this love for us, it is our duty, it is our mandate to love as we have been loved. He moves on in verse 20 and 21. He says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God from whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The final ground of our assurance in God brings us back full circle to the passage that started this section on love in verse 7, which read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Again, John reminds us of the most practical of all his tests of Christian reality. It's easy to make a verbal profession of Christian commitment or to say, I love God or I love Christ. But if we do not live that love in our lives, demonstrating it by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, John calls us liars. He says, you cannot attest that you love God and then your life not demonstrated. You, you, you have to be there fully involved in loving God and loving others. Faith without the outward expression of it through love is dead. John, James 2, 14 through 17, it's one of my favorite passages about this. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. If we can't show love for the people we are closest to and see often that we share salvation with, that we share the love of God with, that we are in the family of God with, how can we have love for God whom we don't see? How do we demonstrate our love for God? Not just by mouth, but by action, by loving those that are around us. In support of verse 20, we see the commandment given in verse 21. If we love God, we must love our brother. And this is a commandment that was made and said by Christ on a couple of occasions, uh, multiple occasions really. If you flip to John 13, 
We're going to look at John 13 and John 15. John 13, verses 34 through 35. This is Christ's teaching. A, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A couple of chapters over in verse 15, he's talking again. And this is at the end of his section about talking about he is divine. He says, this is the commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then all the way back into Matthew, very similar teaching in Matthew 22, getting later in his ministry. He says, it's Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Um, this is where the lawyer asked him. And then a lawyer asked him a question, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The entire law, the prophets, the word depends on love. And it depends on love because it's rooted in love. Because God is love. The word of God is a word of love toward us because God is love. So a mark of true Christianity walking in the light is our love for our brethren. Where it is absent, we have to question, are we abiding in God and is He abiding with us? And we need to take test of ourselves from time to time because we do really well with this sometimes and then sometimes we really bomb at this. And, I, and, and when I say we, I mean me. I fell in this a lot. People get on my nerves. It's hard to love people. It is. But you need to ask yourself, have I shown the love of Christ to somebody today? Have I showed the love of Christ to my brothers and sisters or have I avoided them? Because if you've avoided them and you haven't shown the love, you've got a question, am I truly abiding in the love of God and is the love of God truly abiding in me? And that's an important thing to know because the love of God and the love for our brothers sums up all the law and the prophets. I mean, it's a huge thing to love. He then jumps into chapter 5 as he continues the discussion. In verses 1 through 3, he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So who is our brother that we are commanded to love? Anyone who believes that Jesus has been born of God. The verb believes is best translated, continues to believe one whose faith is firmly fixed in the abiding and, and abiding in Jesus Christ, and it is a faith in Jesus Christ that has led to obedience. Who is our brothers and sisters? Those who are faithful to Christ. John's purpose in verse 1 was not to announce a condition of salvation, but to supply a test by which one might determine if someone is a child of God. 
Again, we see everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So again, it's not just the act of belief. It's not just the knowledge that Christ has been born of God. That, it, that knowledge should lead to an active faith, and that faith should demonstrate our love for Christ. Someone claims to be a child of God. How do we determine if they truly are? Well, the first question is, does he believe that Jesus is the Christ? If someone says, I'm a child of God, then our question to them is, do you believe Jesus is the Christ? They say yes. We check that off. Does that individual live in obedience to the word? And not our word or not some doctrinal word, but I'm talking the word of God. Does the person's life, does our life line up with the word of God? If they say yes to that, then we start checking that off. Yeah, that's a child of God. And you've got to remember that again, at this time, John is teaching against heretics who denied Jesus as the Messiah. Um, Therefore, belief in Christ as the Savior, being born of God, manifested to man in the flesh, gave validity to your claim to be a Christian. There were a lot of people in John's time that were walking around saying, I am of Christ, I believe in Christ, I am a Christian, but they were teaching doctrine that was totally foreign to the Word of God. And we have that same problem today. And John's giving the reader, his audience here, the early Christians, a way of testing this. And he's saying, if that person's been born of God, they're obedient to His commandments. Are they following His commandments? Are they showing the love of God? To believe that Jesus is the Christ is evidence that one is begotten of God. To be begotten of God necessitates loving God, and loving God requires that we love God's children. Those who love God's children have been born of God. Therefore, to believe that Jesus is the Christ requires us to love God's children, and evidence is the fact that one is begotten of God. So we know that we love God's children when we love God, and when we keep His commandments. And acknowledgement of the Sonship of Christ requires that we love God and that we keep His commandments. And how do we exhibit and demonstrate our love for God? The same way we exhibit and, and show our love for His children, by loving one another, by loving God, and by keeping His commandments. So here's our test for the love of God. Do we persist in keeping His commandments? the answer to that is yes, I am obedient to His Word, then we have love of God. And if we have that love of God, then we have to, if we're keeping His commandments, love our neighbors, love our fellow brothers and sisters. Because if you don't love your fellow brothers and sisters, then you can't say you're keeping His commandments. Because it's all one great big commandment. And everything that was written, everything is summed up in the Word of God is love. Love for man, love for his children, which we have to have in our life. The commandments which are set forth, John tells us, they're not burdensome. Um, Galatians 6.12 tells us that through fellowship and love with one another, we actually lighten our loads. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Part of why we are to love one another is to help one another to help carry each other through our low points, to pick up the weight and the burden of life from one another 
and work our way through life together. That, that's a gift to us. It, sh- it shouldn't be a punishment. Some of us are, when somebody comes up and they says, oh, I see you're having some hard times. Can I help you? We're like, no, 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 I'm great. But part of showing and receiving the love of God is, is being vulnerable to one another and saying, yeah, I'm having a tough time. Can you help me carry this burden? That's part of our responsibility to one another, um, bearing one another's burdens. So he wraps up this section and this, this, this section on love. In verses 4 and 5, he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So first, the commandments of God are not burdensome. For despite the hardships that we face living in the world as Christians, we will eventually end in victory because Christ has won the war. Christ defeated Satan. Christ has defeated death. Christ has defeated evil. We can face the world with confidence in our future with Christ without fear. For Christ is with us and has the power over all and has won over all. We see here as in other passages the conquering power of faith. It helps us to resist temptations. It helps us to avoid avoid entanglements with the world. And it helps us reject false teachers and false doctrine. Again, all things that John's audience was dealing with, which are very, very, very similar to the things that we deal with today, resisting temptations, avoiding entanglement with the world, and rejecting false teachers. So by acknowledging and accepting Jesus as the Son of God, through faith in Him, we can overcome the world and its pressures and its snares and its temptations And through the love of God and our love for one another, we can work to help each other overcome the world and its snares and its temptations. Because God is love. If we want to abide in the love of God, we have to love our brothers. And that loving of our brothers involves bearing one another's burdens. It involves caring for one another, seeking ways to help one another lifting one another up, holding one another accountable, being vulnerable to one another and admitting, hey, I'm struggling with this sin. Hold me accountable. I can't do it on my own. You know, one of the the biggest steps in recovery to any addiction is one, admitting that you've got a problem with addiction. But the second one is admitting that you need help, that you can't get through it by yourself. Because when we try to get through burdens by ourselves... We fail every single time because we are weak. If you have something you struggle with, you have something that is tearing you away from Christ, then if we truly love our brothers and love our sisters and love one another, we not only allow people to come and help us, but we seek out our brothers. We seek out our sisters. We seek out the ones that are by command to love us and we say hey I'm really struggling with this help me through it and until we get to a point where we are comfortable enough with one another where we love one another that there's no fear of judgment when we come to one another 
We're going to continue to struggle in our own quiet secret sins because you cannot defeat them by yourself. God created us as a people. Out of His love, He taught us love for one another. And that love for one another has a role in our lives. It's not just something to talk about and to think, oh, that's really cool. It's got to be an active love. It's a love that holds one another accountable. It's a love that picks one another up. It cries with each other. It laughs with each other. It suffers with each other. It persists with each other. And that's the love of God that we have to show. And the really cool thing about it is we've already got victory in Jesus. Jesus has already won the battle. He's defeated Satan. All we have to do is love. All we have to do is reflect the love that he had for us to one another. And we start walking in the right direction. And when we have that, that dread of judgment that we carry in our hearts because we struggle daily with our own personal sins that we keep locked up to ourselves because we think if we tell somebody they're going to judge us or they're going to think less of us. When we start sharing with one another and we start loving one another and we start living and abiding in that love, we're living and abiding in God, our fear of judgment starts to go away. And what a wonderful world to live in because God's won the victory. Christ has paid the price for our sin. Let him pay that price. Let him be the propitiation for it because he's already done it. And love one another. So we'll finish up 1 John next week. We'll be going through verses 6 through the end of the chapter. Thank you for your attention today. We've got about four minutes of free time. <laughs>